Be Christ's Church. Impact the valley. Reach the world. All for the glory of King Jesus. Welcome to the North Roanoke Podcast. Today, our lead pastor, Daniel Palmer, will be opening God's word for us. Our prayer is that you will encounter the living Lord as you hear his word proclaimed. I want to speak to you this morning on the subject of our response to the Lord's reversal. So we saw that the Lord turned things around last week in the first 16 verses of chapter 9. Total victory for the people of God. And in Christ, we, we have total victory, but how ought we respond to that? And so we're going to consider that from Esther chapter 9, all the way through the end of the book this morning. So if you would, would you hear with me the word of the Lord, beginning in verse 17 of Esther chapter 9. This was on the 13th day of the month of Adar, and on the 14th day they rested and made that a day of feasting and gladness. But the Jews who were in Susa gathered on the 13th day and on the 14th and rested on the 15th day, making that a day of feasting and gladness. Therefore, the Jews of the villages who live in the rural towns hold the 14th day of the month of Adar as a day for gladness and feasting, as a holiday and as a day on which they send gifts of food to one another. Would you pray with me? God, as we dive into Esther and conclude this amazing book today, I pray by the power and the presence of your Holy Spirit, that you would open our eyes to see the beautiful things in your word. Lord, that you would empower us and fill us to apply ourselves to the truths that you have for us to hear today. God, give us uh, an obedient spirit. Give us a desire to, to live for your glory. And I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. The first thing I want you to see from verses 17 through 19, is that the Lord's victory brings rest and leads to rejoicing and love among God's people. The Lord's victory brings rest and leads to rejoicing and love among God's people. After the battle for life has been won, as it was in the text that we read last week, there is rest. Do you see that in verse 17? When the Lord gives victory, it brings rest. Did you know that God desires rest for His people? He created the world in six days, and on the seventh day, Exodus 20.11 says He rested on the seventh day. Same word for rest. Adam and Eve were made to dwell with the Lord God Almighty in rest. That did not mean they would never work, but it did mean that their work would always be fruitful and filled with joy. But what happened? My favorite VBS song, Sin Messed Everything Up. Adam and Eve sinned and they were cast out of the garden, out of life in God's rest, and into a life of toil, of getting bread by the sweat of their brow, and a life that would end in death. Of course, the Lord promised a way back into His rest through His promised Son. And here in Esther, those promises are at the brink of extinction if the people of God, if the Jews lose their lives, but we see that God saves the Jews, and therefore we recognize that what we see in Esther is a foreshadowing of the rest that we will receive ultimately through Jesus Christ our King. The Jews are living under foreign and pagan rule, and 
God gives them victory over their enemies, a victory that will lead eventually to the coming of Christ. So this foretaste of victory in a fickle and foolish world brings the Jews rest. Can you imagine the, the rest? For an, almost an entire year since the purr has been caught, cast, the lots have been cast, up until the time of their destruction, or their not their, their destruction, but their victory over the destruction at the end of the year, for 12 months, they've been wondering what was going to happen. And suddenly, it's like that big exhale. You've been preparing for a big exam or something looming on the horizon and everything works out and it's just, ah. They had rest. Rest from planning and wondering about who would oppose them on the 13th of Adar. Rest from wondering if Mordecai's edict would prevail and they would be saved. And rest leads to rejoicing. I appreciate so much what Dowden says here. Relief and rest are not ends in themselves, but means to rejoicing. In other words, God gives you rest so that you might delight in Him. Not just so you can hang out and drink a Coke. There's nothing wrong with a Coke, by the way. I like a good Coke, especially with the, the ones coked in Mexico. Amen? I see, I see a few head nods. But, but we don't rest just to rest. God gives us rest so that we could rejoice and delight in Him. So that we recognize He's conquered our, ven- our enemies. He's vanquished the foe. Therefore, we can focus on God and rest in and delight in and rejoice in Him. God does not gloriously and miraculously deliver us from our enemies so that we would be unexcited or stoic about it. Are you all here this morning? Are you all awake this morning? Do you all know the victory that we have through the blood of Jesus this morning? Another commentator by the name of Strain says this, A Sunday, meaning a Sunday for the people of God, that is morbid and dark is not godly. Today of all days, we have a reason for joy. It's the day that He conquered the grave. He lives and reigns and has won a victory for us. We've got rest that should lead us into rejoicing. Notice how the Jews rest. The day after the battle, they made that day a day of feasting and gladness. Now we see that in Susa, where the battle went for two days, they feast on the 15th of Adar, and everywhere else in the villages and the countryside, they celebrated on the 14th of Adar because there was only one day in which the, the edicts clashed. Now, for some of you, the idea of putting together a big old feast after you just conquered your enemies may not sound very restful. The work of putting together a family meal takes some work. But I'm here to tell you, when the feasting comes, the day after your family and your people were supposed to die, it is rest. Sure, putting on a party takes some work, it takes some planning, somebody's got to get the cups and the ice and the plasticware, the tin foil, and that little sticky saran wrap for the leftovers because it goes on much easier. Party takes work. But the party was filled with can you, can you picture it in your mind, the restful rejoicing of the people, the, the sights of people who thought that they might die 
a few days earlier, now embracing one another in victory. The smells of their favorite foods cooking. The stories of remarkable victory against all odds. The Lord's victory is enjoyed, notice, by all His people. This isn't a party for just some people. It's a party for everybody who got in on the victory. This truth is captured in verse 19, which says that the Jews sent gifts of food, or literally choice portions to one another. The idea here is that they gave their best to one another. When grandma brought her famous eclair cake, she brought a little extra for that guy that she knew just loved her eclair cake. And I suspect his name was Daniel. Just a, just a hint. It was not just relief and rest and even rejoicing that's in the air. It's also love. Because they have a common share in the same victory. This one victory that we all share in brings us together in love. They faced a common enemy, and we faced a common enemy. We faced death because of our sin, and we deserved it, but God came down to reverse it. And that should bring us together in a radical love and unity brought by the Spirit of God. Their common experience of the Lord's deliverance binds them together in love. They give grace toward one another and they ensure that no one is excluded from the party because of their poverty or physical limitation. If you didn't have a dish to bring to the potluck, it didn't matter. There was plenty enough for you. This sort of love should characterize all of us, right? It should characterize the people of God. Ongoing repentance and forgiveness. We too faced a decree of death and the Lord turned it all around in Christ Jesus. Jesus says in John 13, 35, by this all people will know you are my disciples if you have love for one another. Paul says in Galatians 6:10, so then as we have opportunity, let us do good to everyone, and get this, and especially to those who are of the household of faith. In other words, it's got to start right here. We've got to love in a special, deep way. Jesus says in Matthew eleven twenty eight. 28, come to me all who are weary and heavy laden and I will give you rest. The, the victory that is available to us through faith in Jesus is a victory that leads to rest so that we, we might rejoice and that we might express to one another selfless love. But let's be honest, this side of eternity, there's a tendency to forget. To forget the rest that we have been given in Christ. To neglect the rejoicing that He's entrusted to us. And to grow cold in our love for one another. So let's notice what happens next in Esther chapter 9 beginning in verse 20. We'll read through verse 32, so hang with me. A little bit of a sprint here, alright? And Mordecai recorded these things and sent letters to all the Jews who were in all the provinces of King Ahasuerus, both near and far, obliging them to keep the 14th day of the month of Adar and also the 15th day of the same year by year as the days on which the Jews got relief from their enemies and as the month that had been turned for them from sorrow into gladness and from mourning into a holiday. 
that they should make of them days of feasting and gladness, days for sending gifts of food to one another and gifts to the poor. So, the Jews accepted what they had started to do and what Mordecai had written to them. For Haman the Agagite, the son of Hamadatha, the enemy of all the Jews, had plotted against the Jews to destroy them and had cast pur, that is, cast lots to crush and to destroy them. But when it came before the king, he gave orders in writing that his evil plan that he had devised against the Jews should return on his own head and that he and his sons should be hanged on the gallows. Therefore, they called these days Purim, after the term Pur. Therefore, because of all that was written in this letter and of what they faced in this matter and of what had happened to them, the Jews firmly obligated themselves and their offspring and all who joined them, that without fail, they would keep these two days according to what was written and at the time appointed every year that these days should be remembered and kept throughout every generation in every clan, province, and city, and that these days of Purim should never fall into disuse among the Jews, nor should the commemoration of these days cease among their descendants. Then, Queen Esther, the daughter of Abihail, and Mordecai, the Jew, gave full written authority, confirming this second letter about Purim. Letters were sent to all the Jews, to the 127 provinces of the kingdom of Ahasuerus, in words of peace and truth, that these days of Purim should be observed at their appointed seasons as Mordecai, the Jew, and Queen Esther obligated them. And as they had obligated themselves and their offspring with regard to their fasts and their lamenting, the command of Esther confirmed these practices of Purim, and it was recorded in writing. What in the world do I want you to take home from all of that? Just this. The Lord's victory, His reversal, it is recorded, and we must remember it. We, we tend to be forgetful, but praise God, He has written down what He has done. He has recorded it that we might apply ourselves to it and remember it always. We, re, we, re, we read, rather, these verses. As we read these verses, we notice the repetition of the words oblige and obligated in verse 21, 27, and twice in verse 31. And we also notice the abundant references to things recorded in writing. Verse 21, 25, 26, 27, 29, and 32. I think God wants us to get something about something being written down. I think there's, there's a reason why we encourage our children and our students and I pray our adults to bring the Bible with you when we come to worship. And if it's on your phone or your device, that's fine. Just don't hop over to Facebook in the middle. Right? To, to stay locked in to the Word of God. There's something about what God has recorded that is special to the people of God. It forms us. It shapes our souls. It informs who we are. It reminds us of where we're failing and where who God is and what He's done so that we might delight in Him. What is written is really important. God's people are obligated to that which the Lord has written about that which the Lord has done. Mordecai 
sends a letter to all the Jews in all the provinces obligating them to keep up this celebration of victory year by year. Later, Esther does the same thing. Left to ourselves, we, we tend to forget what we have been commanded to do. Left to ourselves, we tend to ignore or modify what God told us to do. So he wrote it down. Just do what I wrote down. Praise God. He, kept, he made it simple. Which means that as we respond out of our rest in rejoicing, that we don't just rejoice however we want to, we rejoice in the way that God has commanded. Which means that worship includes not just rejoicing, but rejoicing rightly. I love the definition of worship that Brother Paul French put me on to a couple years ago. He shared with me this definition by David Peterson. It says this, the, li- the worship of the living and true God is essentially an engagement with Him on the terms that He proposes and in the way that He alone makes possible. We can't worship God unless God makes it possible. And because He's made it possible, we should worship Him in the way that He's asked us to worship Him. And one of the historic hallmarks of Christians who are Baptists is a commitment to following what is written as an act of obedience and gratitude to the Lord. Trusting that this Word... His word and its implications are infinitely wiser than our traditions or our speculations or our innovations. We believe the Bible. And that's where someone should say amen. We believe the Bible because Jesus fulfills the law and the prophets and the Psalms, Luke 24 44. We believe it because John tells us that he wrote his gospel so that we might believe. We believe it because when Jesus was tempted after a 40-day fast in the wilderness three times, he responded with what was written. We believe it because we know that a perfect God does not author imperfect Scripture. It is impossible for him to do so. We believe it because Peter says no prophecy of Scripture is a matter of one's own interpretation. For no prophecy was ever made by an act of human will, but men moved by the Holy Spirit spoke from God. In the case of Esther, the celebration of victory is called Purim to indicate that they thought, the Haman thought, the the world thought, we're going to take out God and His plan and His Messiah by throwing some of these dice and leaving it up to the gods, but they didn't have a chance against the God who holds the destiny of His people in His hand. The lot or the destiny of God's people, as Gregory says, is not left up to chance, and it is not determined by someone like Haman casting lots before his gods. Only God determines the lot of his people. When Haman cast the lots of the pure to set a day to destroy the Jews, he thought that the gods had fixed their fate, but he failed to consider the Lord God Almighty. He tried to overturn the Lord's unshakable commitment to send his Son and Savior, and he failed. While the Jews were in exile and without a king and likely at risk of being assimilated into the larger pagan culture, Haman tries to send the kill shot and eliminate the promise of God. And what happens? On the 13th of Adar, God turns it around and brings the Jews together like they hadn't been for centuries And now they're rejoicing in their identity and they're focused on the promise again to send a Messiah through them. And so what Satan intended for evil, God used for good. The day 
meant for the destruction of God's people, became a reason for them to be united, not just for a year, but for generation after generation after generation. After Mordecai sends a letter commanding the people to rejoice annually, then Esther sends a letter. Which I don't know about you, that's a little strange. I mean, that's a lot of, that's a lot of letters. Postal service debuts significantly in the book of Esther. I don't know, if, you're, if you ever work for the post office, you are very important in the book of Esther. Why, why did she send a letter? Candidly, I'm, I'm not sure. But I, I think its function in the letter is to complete the rise of Esther in the story. Do you remember why Esther was selected? She was selected to keep her mouth shut. She was selected to not defy the king. She was to be the anti-Vashti. You remember Queen Vashti? She wouldn't come when the king called her. and So Esther is selected so that she won't defy the king. And now she's gone into the king twice without invitation. She's risked her life and now she's saved her people. And now at the very end, it seems that her letter is actually putting the punctuation mark on what Mordecai said and making it official royal policy. So here you have a a queen selected to keep her mouth shut, making royal law in the largest empire in the world. It's a picture of the church, is it not? In this world, we will face persecution, we will face opposition, we will face hardship. It will look like the church is going to die, it will look like the church is going to be conquered. And what promise does Jesus give us? Even the gates of hell won't persevere against you. They won't prevail against you. Which means on the day that our King returns, the true church of God will rise and it will be known who His Queen is. She mentions fast and lamenting, which is interesting after being commanded to celebrate with feasting. But I suspect that the reason she mentions fast and lamenting is to capture how this all began. It began with a three-day fast. And so Jews, as they celebrated Purim, some of them fasted on the 13th of Adar and then feasted on the 14th and the 15th of Adar. You see, victory comes when we recognize our desperation apart from the Lord and we cry out to Him, and we resolve to rely on Him, the One who delivers His people on the third day. That was true for Esther and the Jews, and it's true for us as those who know Christ who has come in fulfillment of Purim. With the addition of Purim to the Jewish calendar, now there's feasting at the beginning of the year and feasting at the end of the year. There's the Passover feast and there's the Purim feast. In Purim, the plans of the world to eliminate the people of God are overturned by a rival edict, which means that Jesus is the Passover lamb and he is the one on whom the lots fell at Purim so that we could be delivered from the oppression of our enemies. Jesus fulfills Passover and Purim. He is God's son offering himself on the cross as the lamb who takes away the sins of the world. To be free from slavery in Egypt, the blood of a lamb would do. But to be free from the stain of sin and the death we deserve, only the blood of Jesus Christ, the firstborn over all creation, would do. 
to be freed from an edict of death and destruction at the hands of our enemies. Jesus came and let death fall on Him so that He could offer us life and victory and peace with God through His atoning sacrifice. The lot should have fallen on us, but they cast lots for His clothes at His death so that we could stand with Him in eternity. In verse 27, we learn Purim was not just a celebration for ethnic Jews, those who were biological descendants of Abraham. It was for Jews, it was for their biological offspring, and it was also for, do you see it in verse 27? All who joined them. You say, Pastor, what's the significance of that? I I believe the significance is, even in Esther, we're anticipating a gospel that goes to the ends of the earth. Purim was not supposed to be just a celebration for Jewish people, but a celebration of the Lord's deliverance in anticipation of ultimate deliverance through the Messiah, the seed of the Jews, before whom every tribe and tongue and language and nation would fall. Because the lot that we deserved has fallen on Jesus, we can have life. And the message is for all people from every tribe, tongue, language, and nation. And the message is this, all who will turn from their sin and trust in Christ are welcome to enjoy Him now as the bread of life and to feast with Him in eternity at the marriage supper of the Lamb. The victory we have in Christ church is one that brings us rest so that we might rejoice. It is one that has been written down so that we might remember it. And we can do all sorts of things to remember it. We can read God's Word. We can meditate on God's Word. We can pray God's Word. We can pray prayers of thanksgiving. We can sing psalms and hymns and spiritual songs. We're commanded as a church to sing a variety of music. Colossians chapter 3, verse 17. All these wonderful ways that God has commanded us to remember what He's done. And there's one more thing we ought to do. We ought to celebrate the Lord's Supper. And in just a moment, we'll do that. But before we do, let's see how the book ends. Chapter 10, which is really long. It's three verses. King Ahasuerus imposed a tax on the land and on the coastlands of the sea and all the acts of his power and might and the full account of the high honor of Mordecai to which the king advanced him, are they not written in the book of the chronicles of the kings of Media and Persia? For Mordecai the Jew was second in rank to King Ahasuerus, and he was great among the Jews and popular with the multitude of his brothers, for he sought the welfare of his people and spoke peace to all his people. Now there's more in here than what I'm going to share this morning. But that's the bonus round after worship if you want to come talk about it, all right? All I want you to get right now is this. While the world seems to be winning, we must look to the one who sought our welfare and speaks peace to all those who trust in Him. While the world seems to be winning, we look to Jesus. Do you see what happens in verse 1? After the euphoria of victory, after the feast, after the festival, everything was great and wonderful, and then boom, the difficulties of life in a fallen world resumed. Including the difficulty of rulers who levy burdensome taxes to balloon their own bank accounts. We go from feasting 
to taxes. I mean, I'm just here to tell you, there is nothing like a notice from the IRS to bust up a good party. Some things have not changed in 2,500 years. Taxes still hurt people. As Baldwin writes, the quality of life for the common people depended not only on the harvest, but also on the degree of taxation demanded for civil and military projects, as well as for supplies of food and other resources to keep the palace and civil service in luxury. Overtaxation was a feature of life in the provinces, the necessity of contributing supplies for the ruler in addition to their regular taxes, listen to this, tended to keep the population of the provinces impoverished. And yet, even as the Lord's victory seemed to fade into the background and families had to return to the realities of everyday life and taxation under a pagan king in the empire of Persia, what do we see? Mordecai was still number two in the kingdom. Somehow God had situated his man to be right there using his position and his power, notice, not to enrich himself, but for the good of his people. To speak peace to them, to advocate for their well-being all the days that he was alive, to be there navigating for the people of God in a broken and fallen world. And I trust by God's grace that you can see the Christ connection in Esther chapter 10. Do you see it? We live in a fallen world. How do you know? Because the IRS is still sending you tax bills. We live in a broken world. There's still diversions and distractions and disappointments in this world. Or maybe that's just for the pastor. Did y'all, none of y'all can identify with that this morning? All right, there's, there's a lot of stuff out there competing for your attention that wants to rob you of your rest and cause you not to rejoice in the victory that you have in Christ. And the message of Esther, as it concludes, is you're going to walk back into that, but don't forget, God has placed someone even higher than Mordecai to advocate for your peace and who seeks your good. He sits at the right hand of the Father. He intercedes for you. And those old habits and the the stuff that you've done in the past and the fact that you've neglected God and His Word and COVID's been a mess in your family and it's made you doubt everything and you're disappointed and you're distracted and you're here this morning and you've got a King of glory who stands in your place and He says, I plead my blood over all of that. Just turn your eyes towards me. Look at the King who stands in your place. He is seeking your good. He is speaking peace over your life. Rest in Him. He wins. He wins. Church, we don't have to fear or fret or fall back in this present world because of the disappointments and distractions that are out there. Why? Because our King wins. He passed over our sin on the cross and the lot that we deserved has fallen upon Him. And even if He should not return another 10,000 years, we know that our good and our peace are secured by Jesus' blood no matter what the world brings. So we rest in our King. We share the Gospel. We know that His renown and glory like that of Mordecai is on the move. And we rejoice in Him until He comes. And when He comes, there's going to be a whole lot more rejoicing. So as we close, I want to ask you, do you know the rest of God that is available through Christ alone? 
And are you rejoicing in the good news of the gospel? That Jesus swallowed up death by way of his death. And through faith in him, you can have life everlasting. I pray that you do. Would you pray with me now? God in heaven, we give you praise for the book of Esther. We give you praise for the unbelievable, remarkable reversal that you've recorded in your word. God, it's a picture of an even greater reality that, that is available for everyone in this room, everyone in the gymnasium, everyone listening by way of live stream. God, if there's anyone in any of those places who does not know that their sins are forgiven and that they have life everlasting through Jesus, I pray today you would give them liberty to respond to your gospel and to trust you. And God, I ask it in Jesus' name. Amen. Before we sing our closing hymn, for those of you who are in Christ, for those of you who know that Jesus is your Passover lamb and that he has conquered the enemies allied against you, that he is your Purim. There is a, a plastic cup in your pew and it's got two seals. The top seal is like a, a clear plastic and that's how you get to the wafer. And then the, the more purple seal is, is a, takes a little more force to break and that's how you get to the, to the juice. So for those of you who know Christ is your Savior, you've turned from your sin, you've trusted Christ, and, and you have followed Him in baptism as the, the sign of your identity with Christ and your fellowship with His church, whether that's just this church or a, a church of like faith and order, I invite you to peel back that first wafer. And as you're doing that, I want to I read something to you that didn't make the sermon cut, but I still think is pretty awesome. Theologian John Frame in his Systematic Theology writes this, all the feasts combined in the book of Esther, and there were a lot of feasts in Esther, weren't there? Chapter 1, the king threw a bunch of parties. Vashti threw a party. Then Esther had to throw a couple feasts. And then we end up having feast indefinitely with the Feast of Purim. All the feasts combined in the book of Esther cannot compare with the feast we will experience one day. As John was told to write in the Gospel of, excuse me, in Revelation, blessed are those Invited to the marriage feast of the Lamb. Then John Frame writes this. We eat only little bits of bread and drink little cups of wine. But we know that our fellowship with Christ in this life cannot begin to compare with the glory that awaits us in Him. So as you take that little wafer from your cup, if you know that you're a sinner... And that Christ was broken for your sins. And that by his wounds you are healed. Would you take and eat all of it? And if you also recognize that his blood was the payment. That his life was the cost for your admission to an incredible celebration of the Lord's victory. And that without His blood you would be nothing, but because of His blood you have the hope of life everlasting and a celebration that will trump all other celebrations that I invite you to take the crushed fruit of the vine and drink all of it. At this time I want to 
invite our musicians to come. And we're going to celebrate the victory that we have through Christ. If you were not able to participate in the Lord's Supper today because you don't know Jesus, let this be the last Lord's Supper you don't partake in. We invite you to come and trust Christ today. Let's stand and sing. darkness we were waiting without hope and without light till from heaven you came running there was mercy in your eyes to fulfill the law and prophets to a virgin came the word from a throne of endless glory to a cradle in the dirt. Praise the Father, praise the Son, praise the Spirit, three in one. God of glory, Praise forever to the King of Kings. To reveal the kingdom coming and to reconcile the lost. To redeem the whole creation, you did not despise the cross. For even in your suffering, you saw to the other side. Knowing this was our salvation, Jesus, for our sake you died. Praise the Father, praise the Son. Till that stone was moved for good, for the Lamb had conquered death. And the dead rose from their tombs, and the angels stood in awe. For the souls of all who come to the Father are restored. And the church of Christ was born, then the Spirit lit the flame. Now this gospel truth of old 
You shall not kneel, you shall not faint. By his blood and in his name, in his freedom I am free. For the love of Jesus Christ, who has resurrected me. have to be Pentecostal to be excited about the gospel, meaning Pentecostal in your theology, right? They shouldn't be the only ones clapping and excited. We have a victory to celebrate, and I saw some of you at the Hokies game the last time they went won 17 years ago get excited. So <laughs> we got a victory far better than that, and it's all right to have a little shimmy in your shake. I, I said in my sermon last night, I don't know how the Lord's going to choose to take me. Do y'all ever think about that? Sometimes I do. That's kind of weird, I'm sure. But like, I don't know if it's going to be a car accident today. I don't know if I'm going to age and end up with a walker and then in a wheelchair. I, I don't know if I'm going to be in a bed, you know, bedridden for a long time. Here's what I want you to know. As long as I can get a little shimmy and shake in there and somebody tells me what Jesus has done for me, that's gonna, it's going to manifest more than just in my mind. And, and it's okay, this is, just, this is for next week, it's okay if you want to clap. It's okay if you want to say amen. It's not going to hurt the pastor. It's not going to hurt any, your neighbor. You're not going to be weird. And if you don't want to, you're not weird either. But it's all right to be excited about what God has done. Amen. So let's, let's tell them we're excited right now. God in heaven, thank you. Thank you, thank you, that in a world of distractions and disappointments, in a world of COVID and taxes and all sorts of stuff that, that comes against us, you are over it all, and you have conquered the grave, and we are victorious in you, and there is rest there, there is reconciliation with the Father there, there is a, a release and a rejoicing there And I pray, God, that you would allow the family of faith called North Roanoke Baptist Church to be a, a family 
that loves one another because of our common victory in Christ, that you would allow us to be a family that knows the rest of God in Christ, and God, that we would rejoice in what you have done. And I ask it in Jesus' name and for his glory. Amen. Thank you for listening to the North Roanoke Podcast. You can connect with us at northroanoke.org or download our app in your device's app store. Just search for North Roanoke. We hope to meet you soon.